0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 27. I promise we have only one sermon on this chapter. We have three on the next chapter, and then we, Lord willing, will be finished with Acts and moving on to Philemon. Acts chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, We came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of La Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, The majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive, And running under the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong, and whom I serve, saying... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. When they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. In all, we were two hundred and seventy-six persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach, onto which they planned to run the ship, if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore, but striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Now the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you preserved your, your apostle through this wreck. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand what the Spirit says to the churches. Help us to see the reign of Christ over the sea and over human folly. to See that the kingdom cannot be stopped Father, help us to put our trust not in the weather, not in human good sense, but in the God who controls the weather, the God who protects His people, the God who saves life. We look to you tonight for that, Father. Keep us from distraction as we listen to your word. Help us all to pay attention and to love you more because of what we hear tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Luke has given us a long account of this voyage and the shipwreck with which it terminated. Why is this story here? Its spiritual relevance is not immediately obvious, unlike many of the other passages in Acts, say the conversion of Cornelius or the coming of the Spirit, or even Paul's uh, speech in Acts 17, the Acropolis. But here, we just have an exciting adventure story. What do we make of this? Well, we have the theme of promise and fulfillment continuing that we've seen for the last several chapters. Paul was promised in chapter 19, you will go to Rome. And then thing after thing after thing pops up to keep him from going to Rome. And here, yet another thing pops up after he got through two Roman governors and a king, and finally they decided to send him to Rome. On the way, they get the mother of all Mediterranean storms that last for two solid weeks. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a storm that lasted for two weeks. I certainly haven't. But if this storm happened on land, we would still be talking about it. At sea, I'm sure it was an absolute nightmare. One commentator, Ajith Fernando, commented that uh, being from Sri Lanka, he had to go by boat one time to preach there. and It was fine to go out in the Indian Ocean and ride the boat on the way out, but on the way back, it got a little choppy, and that seven-hour boat ride is imprinted on his memory like nothing else. It wasn't horrible, but it was terrifying. The... Well, Luke was here. Luke rode this ship. And no doubt Luke wanted to say, I have to work this in somewhere because this was awful. There's many things we can learn, but I think the main point here is that Christ reigns over the sea. Christ reigns over the folly of human beings who think that they can master the sea. God's purpose will stand even when things look humanly impossible. Hence the long story of how God preserved them through this shipwreck. As you can see, the outline is not an outline. It's just uh, a series of headings kind of breaking it up into 11 different incidents. And we will just kind of travel through the passage and see what we see here. The first thing is that, well, we're reminded of team ministry. It's Luke and Aristarchus along with Paul. Even here at the end, Luke doesn't fail to remind us that Paul is not some kind of solo hero or lone ranger. Paul has a team with him. He has two guys, Aristarchus and Luke, even as a prisoner. So they travel up the Mediterranean coast a little bit. there are north uh, to, to Sidon. They land there for a few days, and then already by verse 4, things are not going well. The winds are contrary, foreshadowing that this voyage is not going to go well. It's not going to be a pleasant time. So they've managed to get up to the southern coast of Asia Minor, and there they find, in Mira an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy. Now, this was one of the most common kinds of traffic on the Mediterranean. Today, Egypt imports its wheat from Ukraine, but in those days, Egypt supplied the rest of the empire with grain. And the Egyptians grew vast quantities of wheat, which were then put on boats at Alexandria and sailed to Rome. And emperors knew that they needed to keep the people fed, so they put a lot of effort into keeping this grain trade going strong. Obviously, this was a huge ship, 276 people on it, combination of food boat and passenger liner with that size of crew. Even to hear that they were hoping to winter in Crete, what are 300 people going to do if they sit there for three or four months? But they didn't have to worry about that because they didn't winter in Crete. So they managed to get to fair havens there in Crete, and then they decide it's time to go on. Paul gives them his advice. Paul just boldly approaches them, tries to take charge of the situation, which we see over and over in the story. And he says... Basically, I've traveled 3,500 miles by ship. I know I'm not a professional mariner, but I would just like to say that even though I'm a prisoner and my vote doesn't count, this is going to be one giant disaster. Now, lots of people discussed, was Paul shown this by special revelation, or was this just a guess? I think it's pretty clearly a guess because he says we're all going to die or at least many of us are going to die. We're going to lose our lives, verse 10. Later on, after God reveals to him that they're not going to die, he says that instead. So Paul just looked at the calendar and then looked at the amount of travel they had to get to Rome, and he said, don't do it. We are too late in the year. Much time had already been spent. Sailing was now dangerous because the fast was over. The fast is the holiday we know as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the only fast mandated in the Old Testament for God's people. And therefore, you know, that's around the middle, the end of October. After that time, sailing on the Mediterranean without modern equipment got too dangerous. And so people were pretty much not willing to venture out, at least from December to March, you know, the depth of winter and often for a month or two on either end of that so Paul says it's late October winter is pretty much here I don't want to go on the boat obviously I'm a prisoner so I can't decide not to go on the boat but if you guys have any sense in your bones don't do it you won't get paid for this voyage if you lose all the cargo and destroy the ship So Paul appeals to their monetary self-interest, he appeals to health, he appeals to safety, but the centurion is more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. We talked about greed this morning, here's greed, right? Perhaps the evidence seems to be mixed, but there may have been some kind of bonus for bringing in a ship after the period when the sea was generally considered closed, because well, there weren't many grave ships arriving at that time. Uh, Whether or not that's the case, they weren't going to push on to Rome. They only wanted to sail a little further around the coast of Crete. That's what they decided. What is Luke telling us? Again, we can say the man who could write 1 Corinthians 13 was not so lost in his head that he was unable to give decent practical advice on sailing. A sub-theme in the chapter is that following Christ makes you a wise man. Somebody who is able to take what life throws at you and respond in a very sharp way. Instead of making dumb decisions in crisis, you make good decisions in crisis. Paul makes a good decision by giving advice. Let's not try it. Yeah, this is not the best harbor to winter in, but it's a way better place to winter than the open sea. Well, The majority advised to set sail. They tried to sail around part of Crete. The south wind blew softly. The weather was perfect. And so they put out to sea. And only a little bit later, this huge whim called perhaps Eurachlodon in some manuscripts, Euroquilon in other other manuscripts, or the Northeaster in translation comes sweeping down on them some kind of gigantic winter mediterranean storm the ship was caught and could not head into the wind and we let her drive there was nothing that they could do to sail against the wind it was too powerful now the mediterranean is 2400 miles long if you go from what tel aviv all the way to gibraltar but it's only 990 miles wide at its widest point obviously they're not at the widest point It's only a few hundred miles wide at this point. So if they drive before this wind for very long, they're going to run into the notorious sands off the coast of Africa, the Sirtis sands, which they're terrified of. So they use cables to tie up the ship. They take down the sails so that they don't drift as fast. One naval officer in the 19th century was very into this story, and he personally tried to drift his boat all the way uh, across this same trek that they made from Crete to the island of Malta. And he calculated the rate of drift and so on and found that it would take just about exactly the 14 days that Luke mentions. So you can read his book if you want. It sounds like it's pretty interesting. But this is what happened. They did their best to keep from blowing into Africa and were driven. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, and neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. After a certain number of days where the storm just seems that it will never quit, they said, Forget it. We're goners. This is it. We have bought a one way ticket to Davy Jones' locker. We are going down, if not today, then tomorrow, if not tomorrow, then the next day. This was our last trip. And as this mood settles into the ship, they've stopped eating, they're too busy trying to save the ship. Paul stands up and says, man, you should have listened to me. He's not afraid to say, I told you so, not because he wants to say, well, we're all going to die, but I warned you, so I'm better than you. He's trying to establish credibility in front of them, saying, hey, I knew what I was talking about a week ago, and I still know what I'm talking about. So you should listen to me now. You should have listened to me last week. Listen to me today, because I'm not making this stuff up. And he adds, take heart. You will not die. We will only lose the ship. And he doesn't just say, I have a gut feeling, he says, God spoke to me through his angel and he has given your lives to me. And you must be brought before Caesar. God's promise can't be thwarted. So in this scenario, Paul stands up and makes himself visible. It's an excellent example of the kingdom certainty. The people on board the ship are certain they're going to die. Paul is certain they're going to live. Do your coworkers know you're a Christian? In a time of stress and trial when everyone around you is sure that they're going to die, would you be willing to be like Paul and stand up and give them some leadership and say, there is hope. God is bigger than this storm. We don't have to die. God can and will take care of us. That's what Paul tells them. That God has promised them him their lives. We're going to run aground on a certain island. So the 14th night came. Two weeks of this. They're driven in the Adriatic Sea and the sailors sniff the air or whatever they do and say, Land! It's nighttime. The land is getting rapidly closer. 20 fathoms, then 15 fathoms as soon as they can sound again. And they say, We're going to hit. We're going to break up in the night. It's going to be terrible. We'll all die. So they dropped four anchors and prayed for daylight. And you can imagine that Luke was praying just as hard as anybody else. But Paul, perhaps, was sound asleep, right? Luke doesn't tell us this for sure. But clearly, the message is, don't be ruled by fear. Even if you're in a windswept sea on a boat that's with difficulty staying off a rocky coast... God is still in control of that sea and that boat and that situation. Stonewall Jackson said that he felt as safe in battle as in bed. And Luke, well, at least Paul, could probably say the same. I am as safe in battle as in bed. There are no atheists in foxholes. There's no atheists in sailing boats that are trying to stay off rocks in the darkness with no charts and no radar and no lighthouses and no idea where they were. They were all praying. 276 people. But again, the certainty of the kingdom is highlighted by the uncertainty of human life outside the kingdom. We don't know whether we'll live or die, if the ship will break up or if the ship will still be here tomorrow. But we know that Jesus reigns. So, Paul warns against the sailors' perfidy. He says, Unless these stay in the ship, you can't be saved. Highlighting highlighting something conditional about God's promise. God promised that they would all live if they stayed on the ship. He promised the end and the means to get there. Stay on the ship. Don't leave. Don't let the sailors, the only ones who know how to run this thing, try to get away and save themselves because the rest of us landlubbers... We'll not be able to save ourselves. We have no idea how to run this ship. Paul notices what the sailors are doing, which he understood how the boat worked, and he knew that having all the sailors go and jump into the little boat was not a sign that things were going well. So he told the centurion, who quickly commanded his soldiers to cut away the ropes of the skiff, just get rid of the boat. Now that was probably not a very wise decision on the part of this The centurion and the soldiers, they should have retained the boat and told the sailors, we might need this later. But anyway, in the heat of a storm after 14 days, they saw somebody trying to take the boat and they just threw it overboard. So Paul insists that God's promises will come to pass through the most human of means. Staying on the ship, having soldiers stop sailors from being treacherous. God promises, for instance, that your children will be holy and have a special place in his covenant. But he also says that will come through your diligent parenting, loving them and blessing them. Same is true of God's promise that Paul will arrive in Rome. Paul doesn't say, well, I'll get to Rome. I guess I'll just go back to my cabin or whatever. He probably didn't have a cabin, but I'll go back to my pile of straw on the floor and I'll let you guys deal with this because it doesn't matter what I do. I'll get to Rome. His trust in God led him to actively intervene in this storm time after time. Indeed, he offered food and hope. As day was about to dawn, he implored them all to take food. Today is the 14th day you have waited and continue without food and eaten nothing. That's how intense this storm was, that in a two-week period, they did not have time to stop and say, I'm starving. They were constantly moving from one crisis to the next, trying to keep the boat going finally after two weeks paul says you know what you would all be happier with some hard tack in your bellies so he breaks bread before them gave thanks to god just right take spiritual leadership over all 276 i don't care what kind of pagan you are i'm going to pray to god for your meal and they're all too tired to fight him in fact they were encouraged and also took food themselves. Paul, by example, offers hope. And we can show our love for Christ in the same way, by offering people a cup of cold water, as Jesus says, some food, as Luke mentions here, a bed, a place to sleep, and so on. This is a huge testimony to the ways of Jesus and our certainty that He reigns no matter how things are falling apart around us well it happens that they look they see a place where they might be able to land the ship a bay with a beach you want to go to the beach not to the rocks the rocks smash the ship if there's a beach the ship can possibly run up onto it and you can get off safely so they head for the beach not knowing that there's an underwater rock right in the way and they land on that (coughs) stick fast in such a way that the violence of the waves beats on the ship and immediately smashes it so they all jump overboard and they swim to, sh- to land. The rest, some on boards, some on pieces of the ship and they all escaped safely to land. They were saved in an earthly sense from the shipwreck. It's still salvation an evidence that Jesus reigns over nature as well as over the human folly that says we're going to go out and brave the sea in wintertime because Well, the weather's nice today. It won't be a big deal. So why the story of shipwreck shows that Jesus is king. His kingship is shown not by always delivering his people from everything bad. This wasn't the only shipwreck that Paul went through, in fact. Jesus' kingship is shown by how his people conduct themselves in times of stress and trial and pain. Chapter stands then as a question for us. How will you behave when the world is falling apart? Will you be Paul, steady, calm, offering hope, standing up and taking spiritual leadership because you are certain that Jesus reigns? Or will you just go with the flow? 275 people thought they were going to die. And Paul is the one who's willing to stand up and say, we're not going to die. We're going to live. So know Jesus as Lord. Trust Him in the storm. That's Luke's message for us in this chapter. His kingdom is certain. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You rule the powerful sea that you still its angry waves, that your son is able to say, Peace, be still, that his hand is on the sea, his right hand is on the rivers. No matter how powerful the chaos waters, you are more powerful. You split the Red Sea. You calmed the Lake of Galilee, and you continue to rule the sea to this very day and forever. Father, we don't worship the powers of chaos and death. We worship You, the God of order and life. Bring us out of many waters, we pray. Set our feet on the rock. Set us in a broad place. Rescue us, we dare to ask, because You delight in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.